0: Hi there, you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast with your host, me, Simon Drew. If you'd like to listen to over 200 episodes that were recorded before 2020, then you can head to my Patreon site. It's patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. We'd love to have you there and any support is greatly appreciated. We'd love to also have you on our Facebook community, the Practical Stoic Mastermind, But for now, enjoy the show. Hi there, my name's Simon Drew and welcome to the Practical Stoic Podcast. Now, today I've got a really fascinating conversation for you that I had with Dr. Dan Dwarkas around using stoicism to make yourself uh, better prepared for emergency situations to act effectively in those situations. Uh, So for context, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dan uh, and then we're going to jump straight into this awesome interview. So... Dr. Dan Dwarcus is a board-certified emergency physician and the founder of The Emergency Mind, which brings together lessons from experts in the emergency department and beyond uh, on developing the tools it takes to succeed during times of crisis and apply knowledge under pressure. So, Dr. Dwarcus received his MD and a PhD in molecular medicine from the Boston University School of Medicine, and he performed his residency training in emergency medicine with Harvard Medical School at Massachusetts General Hospital and Brigham Health. Uh, He has worked in some of the largest and busiest emergency departments in the world, uh, as well as some of the most remote and isolated ones. And currently he is the Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Keck School of Medicine of USC. So, as you can see, this is going to be a fascinating conversation and he's also very influenced by Stoicism as well. So, uh, I can't wait for you to listen to this. So, without any further ado, I present to you Dr. Dan Dwarkas. Alrighty, so Dan, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have you here today. You kind of reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and said, um, you know, I kind of deal with a lot of the emergency response uh, as an emergency ER doctor um, or surgeon and uh, and I'm so excited to talk about all this with you because you can really bring us a unique perspective on uh, I mean firstly what people are dealing with at the moment with the whole crisis that we're seeing around the world but also just how to be an effective human uh, in an emergency situation or in any sort of difficult situation which we often find ourselves in obviously not to the extent that you've found yourself in. But uh, for those who don't know you, I just want to give you an opportunity at the start to tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and then we'll jump straight in. Absolutely. And thank you
1: so much for having me on this. I'm, I'm really excited to come talk to everybody about this. I hope it, uh, hope it brings some strength and peace to folks who are listening because I, I know all of us need more of that right now. Mm. Um, so, I, uh, so my name is Dan Dworkis. I am an emergency doctor in Los Angeles, California. Um, I work at LA County Hospital. Uh, and I am the founder and creator of The Emergency Mind, which is a platform that takes lessons from, uh, from experts in the emergency department and also beyond uh, about how to get things done in a crisis and apply knowledge under pressure. And one of the, one of the real pillars we rely on in terms of building our response to emergencies um, is stoicism, something I've been a fan of and a student of for um, sort of as we were talking before this, sort of as long as I can remember, really. Um, so I'm super happy to come on and talk about that
0: yeah awesome and you know i i really want to delve into that a little bit more this idea that stoicism can help us to uh, get the right psychology for an emergency response but uh, maybe what i wanted to start with was maybe to give you the opportunity to give us a few examples of the kind of emergency situations that you might deal with uh and and the kind of stress that you would be under in those circumstances so that we have that context there and i mean situations that Uh, you know, emergency responses, uh, let alone what's happening right now, right? Like, you know, we can't even fathom how how some doctors are dealing with what's going on right now. But tell us what what a typical day in the office for you might look like uh, and what you're training people to deal with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Typical day in the office is a fun a fun way to say that. Um, so, I mean, first off, I, I, I'm happy to share some stories about that. But I, but I think that more important than sort of the craziness that I go through sometimes is the idea that the ER doctors or not, all of us face emergencies in our lives. And we might not face them every day, but we will face them. And these moments, and if you think back in your own life or, or if you're listening to this in your own life, you think about the times that were the most um sort of pivotal in your existence those are probably emergencies in one way or another right emergencies are the things that are the climax of the movie right they're the times when like things are really gonna just skew off and change the entire course of your existence and so when i think about emergencies what we're talking about is situations that have really three aspects to them right so there's uh there's uncertainty which is that we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what the right action to take is um, there's impact, which is that whatever happens in this situation really truly matters, right? Like if you're standing in line to get a coffee and you're not really sure which kind of coffee you're going to choose, back when we used to stand in line in places for coffees and things, um, you, you know, uh, you know, there's uncertainty, but that's not really impactful in any deep, meaningful way. And the third thing is that there's pressure on top of all of this. So you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision now. And if you don't make a decision now, then things go completely off the rails. So pressure, uncertainty, and impact, that's really what defines an emergency. If you look through the situations that we find ourselves in the emergency department, you know, right now, what we're all geared up for, of course, is is the, the COVID-19, the corona epidemic, um, pandemic, excuse me. And And a lot of these decisions we're having to make are really complicated decisions about um, sort of what support is the best to give somebody when they're, when they're really crashing. So a patient might come in um, and they're having a lot of trouble breathing and you know, you might not exactly know, hey, is their breathing going to get better with some treatment or is it going to get immediately worse? Should I put them to sleep and put a breathing tube in and take over breathing for them? These are big life and death decisions, right? There's huge amounts of impact. If you get it wrong, the patient dies. There's a ton of uncertainty, both in terms of what happens for this patient and then in general, as we're sort of learning this disease as, a, as humanity, and then there's the pressure of if you don't make a decision right now, you know, you might not get another chance to make that decision a few minutes later. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and now that you're talking about that, you know, I I remember back to when I used to watch episodes of mash and there would be these scenes where they would have an influx of people come into the hospital and, you know, these doctors, uh, I know it's a TV show, but this is real life as well, right? Like there's situations where you have to make extremely, uh, extreme ethical and moral decisions Mm. on maybe who you're going to treat first, uh, how you're going to treat somebody Uh, Does this person need help more than this person? And if I treat them first, is this person going to die? Like, these are questions that really should lead us to thinking that philosophy should also be the study of, and virtue and and ethics and and logic should be the study of of a doctor or an emergency response person, right? Like, because these can help us to make these kinds of decisions. Do you think that there's an element there of of a need to study uh, not only the practice of medicine, but also the study of of ethics.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that they are one and the same practice in a lot of ways, right? I mean, you can yeah. study medicine in theory. You can write down your sort of axioms about the gallbladders connected to the you know whatever, um, but it's not really about that. It's about understanding the best knowledge that humanity has to offer and how to give it to that patient right now when they need it, and also to that community when they need it. And and part of that does involve the idea of like, well, you know, how do you manage scarce resources, which unfortunately, in in several parts of the country and the world, you know, we always see that in in a lot of the world, right, in places that don't have uh, as much resources as we would want. Um, But we're seeing it now, I think, in a scale that is really unprecedented, given the given the pandemic, um, and there are a lot of these hard decisions. Thankfully, not in Los Angeles at the moment. We're, you know, we're still doing okay. Um, But I think that, um, you know, you might learn it from a textbook, but medicine medicine is about people. Medicine is about applying knowledge to people. So Mm, there's there's no way to get around it.
0: Yeah, no, I love that, and and I, I wanted to dive into the the nitty gritty of emergency response. What it means to act effectively, what it means to act ineffectively, so that we know the difference. When you're training people, maybe, maybe you could give us a few examples of, let's say, what's what's a typical response that you see to an emergency situation that would be ineffective. Like what mm-hmm. happens in our psychology, our even our physiology. That sure. leads to an ineffective response, then what leads to a really good response, and how do you train people? Sorry, this is a loaded question. Then, how do you train people to go from that ineffective response to an effective response?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our body and our mind together. I always tend to think of it as like, you know there are a brave companion on this journey, right? They're doing the best that they can. And you get this set of programming um in terms of the way your your body and mind are linked together and what your innate response is. Um, and you know you sort of have this innate reaction to things. and, the the way I sort of think about it is if you ask, if you put a bunch of first year medical students together in a room and you try to get them to resuscitate somebody to take a really critical case, even if they're smart people, which they probably are, they're not going to, nothing's going to happen the right way. Most of them are going to do some version of panic. They're going to do some version of shutdown. They're going to freeze. Even if they have some knowledge, they're not really going to be able to deliver that knowledge to the patient in the way that the patient needs it. Um, and then if you take those same group of people and you put them through several years of training and an emergency medicine training specialty program, now all of a sudden they're walking into the room that has the same amount of pressure, uncertainty, and impact in it, and they're handling it in a completely different way. And, and some of that is sheer knowledge, right? Some of that is knowing, okay, well, if the patient uh, doesn't have a pulse and they're in a wide complex um, you know, ventricular arrhythmia, then I'm going to give 300 milligrams of amnioterone. Okay, cool. That's like a, a nice fact of knowledge, but really it's about how do you access that knowledge and deliver it to the patient right then when everybody's screaming and there's blood everywhere. And, and hopefully they're not screaming, right? Cause you're, you're managing the room better than that. But you know, when there's all this sort of like extra pressure going on, how do you map that knowledge onto that case? And so the way that I've started sort of thinking about this, um, was this idea of the emergency mind, right? So the emergency mind is the set of tools, algorithms and responses that you use when you find yourself in an emergency, right? And we all have one, everybody has an emergency mind. The problem is if you haven't trained it, it probably sucks, right? Which is if you look back at your life, and I look back at my life when I started doing this, you put me in front of an emergency and I, I would, you know, some version of that um, you know, that in inflatable inner tube kind of thing they have at the car salesman sometimes that sort of does the like the wavy yep. arm thing like that. I know exactly
0: good. what that is. And I know yeah. exactly the feeling that that feels like.
1: Absolutely. Right. And that's pretty natural. That's what we all generally start with. The opposite of that is what the emergency mind is about. It's about being able to come into a place calmly, to understand um, what's happening, to accept reality, to act from where you have control, to deploy this idea of sang-foi, right, which is this wonderful French word that means cold-blooded, but really is, you know, sang is blood and froid is cold. You mash them together and you get the ability to perform under pressure. Mm. And then you try to link it all together to, to play for the future and to play for humanity. And you do that despite the pressure, uncertainty, and impact. And in fact, you do it in a way where you're better under the circumstances of pressure, uncertainty, and impact. That's mm. what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And and I know that um, you know before the show, we were kind of discussing your relationship with stoicism and and your study since you know for before you could even you know really remember where it came from. But uh, how do you think that stoicism has influenced the way that you see? uh you know the emergency mind our response to these emergencies
1: yeah i think it's really really crucially important and i think that if you want to be somebody who performs well under pressure whether that's the pressure of your sort of day-to-day life or that's you really want to train yourself to be able to handle an emergency even if you're not an er doctor right you want to handle the the real emergencies you have so much to learn from stoicism stoicism has so much to give us um you know, shocker. I'm going to say that we're on a podcast talking about how great stoicism yeah. is, but, but <laughs> nevertheless, I, I totally believe I it.
0: always welcome an objective view, right? Like if you've got bad yeah. things to say about stoicism, I really don't mind, but you know, like obviously you reached out because, um, you felt like there would be a, a link there as well. And, and, and that's what I'm interested in.
1: Absolutely. And I think I, I, if anything, I talk about it too much, I would imagine my residents that I'm training are a little sick of hearing about stoic philosophy at some point or another. Yeah. Um, but for me there's several threads that that really link the two and we can take this in any direction that you want but mm. but fundamentally stoics stoicism is about accepting the reality of the world around you and building the best version of yourself that you can in that reality and that's exactly what you need to do in an emergency right you find yourself in a room and somebody is not breathing if you try to deny that reality, you try to say, well, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. This isn't fair. This isn't the way life's supposed to work. Yeah. That person is still not breathing and you just wasted that couple of minutes talking about how unfair it is. And man, they, they need that oxygen, right? They don't have time Mm -hmm. for you to do that. Instead, if you come in and you say, yeah, wow, this is really suboptimal. This isn't what I want. Hey, here's the deal. This person's not breathing. This is the reality. What can I do about this? You know, Stoics are are awesome at stepping forward and making that happen, and you get it all the way back. you know Marcus really is talking about the, the closer a person is to a calm mind, the closer they are to their strength, right? You talk about this whole locus of control idea that that all the Stoics are about um that is so much of about improving your ability to respond to to any situation, but certainly to an emergency
0: mm. yeah definitely and and you know you you mentioned you mentioned earlier about uh this idea that over time your students will go from having a pretty bad response to the emergencies not necessarily to their fault it's just because you know that's where they're at but then over time through practice they get uh they obviously get the right knowledge they get the the right skills and it just becomes naturally a, a better response to these situations what do you think the importance is of, of uh, rehearsing these difficulties? Because I know the Stoics talked about this time and time mm-hmm. again. It's like, hey, you want to not be afraid of poverty, practice being poor. And then you know that it's not actually that stressful and it's not bad at all. So what's the kind of rigorous routine that you would put through uh, you know, your students sure. to in order to get that strength and practice there?
1: Sure. And I think there's a really important sort of misconception of what you just said, which is that this sort of ability to respond to emergencies, to deploy a successful and strong emergency mind happens as sort of a happy accident from training. And Mm -hmm. I don't actually think that's true. I think that you certainly need, you certainly cannot get a functioning emergency mind, unless you practice in emergencies. But it's not just time on target; it's dedicated time on target, consciously training yourself. And you can yeah. easily put reps in without actually getting any better at it. Um, if that wasn't the case, right? If it was just time on target, then always the oldest person in the room in the emergency would be the best at it. And that's not mm-hmm. always true, right? And yeah. really, it's the person that's really invested themselves in in sharpening their own their own mind and their own ability to do something. Um, So I agree with you. It definitely has to be a conscious process in there. And and I tend to think about this in terms of like multiple concentric circles, right? So there's like the, there's like the, what stoics have to offer us in the exact second of pressure, uncertainty, and impact. And then what do stoics have to offer us in the broader sense of how we train ourselves to prepare for this kind of thing. A great example of that is what, is what you just said about thinking ahead about what's going to happen, right? This thing I can, the stoic concept that I love, but can never pronounce appropriately, like premeditatio malorum or however you to yep. do that, right? A negative visualization, like,
0: you know. Exactly, you it, right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So when I'm in a room and somebody's not breathing and I'm getting set up to intubate them, right? I'm going to put them to sleep. I'm going to put a breathing tube in their mouth. I'm going to hook them up to a ventilator, something we're all doing quite a bit of these days with the COVID epidemic, um, COVID-19. Uh, you know, in that moment, I am doing premeditation malorum. I'm doing negative visualization in like the one or two moments leading up to actually paralyzing them. I'm looking at the person, I'm thinking, okay, what's going to go wrong here? What are my backup moves? What does their anatomy tell me? What does their physiology tell me? If this fails, what's my backup? If that fails, what's my backup? And I'm okay with that because I've, I've practiced and rehearsed going from my backup tool. And I've visualized myself stumbling and recovering over and over and over again. We talk a lot about the idea of, okay, so, so just to really zoom in on this for a second. So you've paralyzed the patient, so they're not breathing. So it's up to you to breathe for them. They have a certain amount of time with which the oxygen they have in their body will sustain them and then that will run out and they will die if you don't do anything. Um, So let's say you go in and you put this little sort of curved blade. It's called a laryngoscope. It's not sharp, but you put it in their mouth to move the tongue out of the way so you can get the breathing tube in. And you set up to do that. If you see the vocal cords, great. You can get the tube in most of the time. Awesome. What if you don't? What if something doesn't quite work the right way? You have to adjust yourself on the fly within those couple of seconds, change, understand what the problem is, change your approach and make a second pass that's going to succeed where the first pass failed. You have to understand that that will happen some percent of the time. So ahead of that, you have to have thought about that. If you haven't thought about that, if you haven't done this negative visualization, man, you got a a person that can't breathe and you're fumbling around trying to find the airway, that is an unpleasant situation. Conversely, if you think about it ahead of time, you rehearse the idea that you are fallible. You are not perfect. You will miss the first time some of the times. You're going to train yourself to get ready to reach for that backup tool to make your adjustments and to move. Mm. You know, at the same time, you zoom back out, right? And now all of a sudden you're thinking about emergencies in general and you're thinking about the next 10 patients that are going to come in. What's going to happen? Is your team ready? Do you have enough resources? Do you have the backup resources? You know, when when this whole Covid nineteen epidemic start pandemic started. We were had a a screening program that only asked people if they'd been to Wuhan, China. Okay, that's a that was a good first pass, right? And we were sort of shuttling them into different places based on how they answered that question. So my first response to that screening program was, oh, okay. Well, what happens when we miss them at the first point? Right. What happens when they get through the first point and get into the ER? What do we do about it then? Mm. And I think that discipline of always thinking ahead about about, you know, what the stoics teach us about sort of imagine these bad things are going to happen and what you do about them. How do you respond is, is invaluable for emergency care. Mm, it's probably more than yeah. you ever want to know about intubation, but no,
0: no, that that was awesome. And, and this is exactly the reason why I love having people from so many different disciplines on the show who have been influenced by stoicism or even not because, uh, you know, when you start talking about it, I'm even seeing a different perspective of stoicism that it's almost as if one of the greatest benefits is that it allows you to uh, pick the right things to put importance on in your mind, as in like you're thinking about the right things at the right time and you're seeing things from the right perspective at the right time as well. Mm. It's like in that moment when you know you need to focus really closely on one specific task, you focus on that specific task. You don't focus on the past. You don't focus on, you know, necessarily, uh, what yeah. could have happened? You focus on what can I do right now? And then when you know that something is safe there, then you can say, cool, now I look at the broader picture and I step out of it. So there's a real uh, a value in being able to quickly uh, change the perspective from which you're looking at the situation. Would you say that that's, that's probably like a real valuable aspect of emergency response?
1: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Being the value placed on being useful in the moment, however you can. Right, and that's mm-hmm. certainly something that the Stoics think about and dig into. Right, you you want to be effective. You want to think about where you have that locus of control. Where can you where can you make a difference? I always think about. I think it's a. I think it's Epictetus. It might be Seneca. I'm sorry, I'm coming off of a night shift. I don't have quite the like recall of Stoicism <laughs> With that I'm usually having. Yeah, um, but he talks about you know, let's say you're on a sea voyage and your ship is capsizing and you realize you're going to drown. Right what do you have left in that moment? What is your job? And I, I, I love the way that he says, well, your job is to drown and drown fearlessly because like, if that's all you've got left, like you're going to do it. Right. But it's that yeah. idea of like, there is not a single moment in existence where you cannot do something of use to humanity. Yeah. I totally fervently believe that. Yeah.
0: Or yourself, you know, like that's that, that, cause you know, dying courageously isn't necessarily doing something for humanity, but for yourself, it's it goes back to this this stoic idea of uh, living virtuously right to that very very last moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like you always have the choice, no matter what situation you're in, even if you're dying or you have the choice to die, uh, that choice to make sure that you're living with virtue and and courageously. That's that's a brilliant story as well. But um, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to touch on again: uh, how it's important to recognize that your body is doing the best that it can. Mm. I think that's really important. You know, something that I I tell my clients often is that uh, when it comes to your own personal change or improvement, you have to go by Epictetus's uh, definition of uh, the most effective way to change, which is a mixture of self scrutiny and also self kindness, right? So Mm. you need to make sure that you're always picking apart, you know, how you could be acting better but also you need to have that aspect of, of your character that says, well, I'm doing the best that I can and, Mm -hmm. and I will only ever try to do the best that I can. And I can't move faster than what I can move. Right. How important do you think it is for people in these moments of, of, uh, I guess, training the mind and in the moments Mm -hmm. where you're trying to get better at responding to situations or emotions or anything like that, how important it is, is it for people to recognize, uh, that they can only move as fast as they can move and they can only, you know, be on level two or level three. They don't need to be at level 20 right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly it doesn't do us any good to uh, beat ourselves up as we're moving through it. Right. You want to have, mm. you want to train effectively and become better. That's your goal, right? Your goal is not to be perfect at this second. Your goal is to continue to train and to be better and better. And I think that's true constantly. That's, that's, it, you know, when I look back at when I look back at sort of like my own course of training through that, and, and that's this is true if I look back at my training in martial arts or I look back at my training in emergency medicine or anything, which is that you're always trying to push yourself to keep moving and you also realize that there is no finished endpoint. There's no there's no finished martial artist, there's no finished stoic, there's no finished emergency doctor. Right. We're all in this continuing to learn and grow. And your job is just to do whatever you can with what you have and keep moving forward. Um, And, you know, I think to to sort of directly answer your question, any energy we spend beating ourselves up is energy that we're not spending either getting better or delivering medical care to the patient. It's just mm-hmm. not effective, right? Our, our our patients, and you can replace patients with clients or with family or with whatever you want to replace it with, but the people we are working to, or ourselves, right? The people we are working to serve, they need us to deliver the whole of our intention to them. They don't have space and time for us to to beat ourselves up with half of it. Not to say that there's not frustration, because there certainly is, mm-hmm. right? But there's a difference between being frustrated and needlessly beating yourself up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I could imagine that you deal with many situations where, you know, you look back on the situation and you say to yourself, you know, maybe if I had have done something differently, Mm -hmm. somebody could have got a better result or maybe I could, have, you know, how important is it for people to shake off that, that real, uh, man, looking to the past like that, and looking Mm -hmm. at all the things that you could have done better, how important Mm -hmm. is it to shake that off and try to focus on, okay, yes, I can do better next time, but it's not going to help me to, to, uh, ruminate on that.
1: So, yeah, I think that nobody does emergency medicine without losing patients, without having people and families go through really challenging, terrible outcomes. Um, That said, I think the incredibly important discipline, uh, and I think the Stoics would probably agree with me on this, is to to never waste suffering, Mm. to never waste suffering, to understand that if there is suffering, that you try to minimize it, but whatever there is, that you need to use it as fuel for change. And the worst thing you could do is make a mistake, have somebody suffer, and not learn or grow from it that's that's pretty terrible Mm. if it does have to happen if there is a suboptimal outcome if there's something really horrible that happens then your your job essentially is to to transform that into something better for the next person so i'm Mm. always thinking about you know every shift how can we get better how can we get better to treat the next wave of patients that come in because look at I'm not, I'm I'm imperfect, right? I'm an imperfect person and I practice an imperfect craft and I practice it imperfectly. That's just the reality. I'm a human. Hmm. There's going to be mistakes and people are going to suffer, but can I, over the course of my career, can I build enough of a, can I build enough of a, what's the right way to put that? Can I build myself enough to the point where when something does happen, I'm able to use it to become better tomorrow? Um, mm-hmm. And I think the Stoics talk about that a lot, right? So, so for me, when I read that quote by Epictetus about, about drowning fearlessly, the, the unspoken part in my head about why I think this is about for the benefit of humanity is that can you drown fearlessly so that somebody else watching from the shore is like, whoa, what, why did that guy do that? Why did he mm-hmm. behave like that when he drowned? Why wasn't he flailing like this other person over here, right? And in that way, you create something that allows that suffering to be used in a meaningful way. Um, Mm. And, you know, I I wish I could say, here's the magic answer of how to do that. Uh, uh, you know, it's really challenging. It's like the deepest, most challenging things that we deal with as humans is transforming suffering into growth. But that idea of not wasting that suffering, and I think that's particularly important right now in the setting of this pandemic when all of us are suffering to one degree or another. Um, how do we not waste that suffering? How do we grow ourselves and our communities as we're doing it? Mm.
0: Yeah. I like what you're saying there about, uh, you know, kind of the person on the shore, it's, it's kind of the ultimate definition of somebody in a, in a leadership position, right. Is, Mm -hmm. you know, they might not, not necessarily be telling everybody, Hey, this is how you remain calm in the situation. They might just be simply being calm in the situation and something about humanity really is infectious in those situations, right? Like Mm -hmm. if, if I'm, if I am Terrible six levels words, below the yes. leader and I say that yeah. the leader is extremely calm and dealing with the situation and doing well, uh, that is definitely going to feed into the way that I react to the situation as well. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, sorry, I'll let you comment on that. No,
1: no, there's a, there's a, a, a talks about, um talks about uh, not just talking about philosophy, but about living it. Right. He talks about sheep and he goes, sheep don't, so you don't eat grass and then vomit it back up to be like, hey, shepherd, look what I just ate. Right. They eat yep. the grass and then they produce wool and milk. And so mm. the shepherd is able to see what has happened, right? In the same way that you're talking about leaders don't often have to say, hey, everybody, be calm under pressure. In fact, that's that often doesn't really help anything at all, right? Mm. But you can show the result of your own training like that. You can show the wool and milk of your training by being calm under that pressure and and that it does that that creates those ripples out from you in terms of your your team and your family and everybody around you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I wanted to touch on your martial arts training as well, because mm. I understand that you're, you're heavy into your martial arts, whether it's Taekwondo, Brazilian jiu uh, how does that discipline help you to, uh, how does that transfer into all areas of your life? Cause I know that the Stoics talked about, uh, you know, how every discipline will feed into the other, right? Like we, we want to make sure that our training, uh, you know, obviously helps us in all areas of our life. How does it help you?
1: Yeah, um, Miyamoto Musashi, the author of The Book of Five Rings said, you know, if you know the way broadly, you will see it in all things. And I think mm. that's, that's true in the sense that any training that you put into yourself to sharpen your version of yourself, to sharpen your own sword is training that will help you in all of your other spaces. Um, I am a very, you know, I've, I'm lucky to have been introduced to martial arts at a pretty young age by my family. Um, and to have a initial martial arts instructor who was really deep into the philosophy of it and you know, understood that like, it's not just about learning to throw a punch and a kick. It's about sharpening your mind so that you can respond better to existence. Um, incredibly fortunate for that. And uh, lately I am incredibly lucky to train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu out here in LA, which is, you know, just wonderful. And I have an incredible professor that I study with. And, um, but that, constant discipline of throwing yourself into situations where you are uncomfortable and training yourself to react there. Right. You're essentially you're finding these situations of pressure, uncertainty, and impact a little different than in the than in the ER. But if you're in a jiu-jitsu, you know, you're rolling, there is pressure, there is uncertainty, and there is impact. Right. And you're training yourself to be in these situations and to train your response to them over and over and over again. Um, mm. Uh the uh, former Navy SEAL and leadership expert, like Jocko Willock, talks about this kind of thing a lot when he talks about jiu-jitsu and, the, and sort of why everybody should train jiu-jitsu to the point where, you know, you're out there throwing yourselves in these situations that are oftentimes extremely uncomfortable and really, really challenging, and, and you're watching how you respond to it, right? You're polishing yourself with the, what's that Seneca quote, like, gems can't be polished without friction, and neither can a person without trial, something
0: like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I not, know the one like that a, you're talking yeah, about. Okay. I'm not going to do a better job of you than <laughs> uh, paraphrasing that.
1: Yeah. But you know, but that idea that like, like if you want to be able to perform under pressure, you have to train yourself under pressure. And the truth is that all of our lives, whatever we do involves performance under pressure, every single person. There's not, there's not a career out there that I know of that doesn't have performance under pressure. Um, and so you have to train yourself. You have to be, you have to become a student of pressure, right? And one way or another. And I think martial arts is a really wonderful,
0: visceral way to do that.
1: Plus, it's incredibly fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do Do you have any other disciplines that you kind of used in order to train your mind to be better under pressure? Um, hmm.
1: uh, I am doing. I am an exceedingly, exceedingly beginner at learning how to surf. I'll tell you that okay. out in LA. Yeah, that's been a has been a great example of it. I'm looking over at my my surfboard in the corner here, which is which is sadly in the corner because the beaches are closed here in LA at the moment. Um, But I think that's a really interesting example too because that's just such a wildly different thing that I'd never really spent any time doing. Uh, Mm. And it's fun to watch yourself react to a new situation and be like, you know, I'm somebody who studies stoic philosophy, I study martial arts, I study performance under pressure, and I still get out there and there's a giant wave and I'm like, what is this? What is happening? Right? And it's just great to get back to that beginner's mind of like, oh, cool, let's see what happens when you do this. So. yeah
0: yeah no i love it and i I've only got a couple more questions that i wanted to ask yeah. uh one one of them i i guess uh it's difficult to know how to ask this question respectfully so i i know um don't don't be afraid um <laughs> i i i've i've known um you know various people within the health industry or with within um mm-hmm. say Uh, the emergency response industry, people like police officers, people like uh, emergency call center workers. And uh, they all seem to have a really dark sense of humor that is almost necessary for them, right? Because when Mm -hmm. you're dealing with the darkest elements of humanity, whether that's chasing down a criminal who could kill you or you're trying to save somebody's life in an emergency situation, Uh, that's a dark moment in life that can take a lot out of you, right? If you don't learn how to see the, I guess, you could even look at it from the perspective of what Seneca taught, right? He said that it shows a a better character to laugh at life than to bemoan it, right? Because Mm. it shows the lighter side of life. Like nothing should be too serious that you can't allow yourself to relax after the Mm. situation and see the humor in it. Um, The Stoics also talked about, you know, many of these situations that we find horrifying today, um, tomorrow will seem absolutely trivial, right? What do you think the, if you think this, what do you think the importance is of learning to uh, find humor in situations that can be so dark that they would take it out of you if you didn't find that humor? And again, yeah. I don't, that's why I say that I don't know whether this is going to come off disrespectful because I want that question to be as respectful as possible.
1: No, of course, and and I think that there are, you know, there are things that happen, and um, you know, I'm I'm thinking as we're talking about this about some of the cases that I've worked on where, for instance, a, a child has died, and there is no, there is nothing funny about that. Of course, it's, it's horrible, right? But, you know, you have to decide at some point that whatever happens, you're going to get back up tomorrow and do it again. Mm. Right? That no matter how bad it looks, you're going to wake back up tomorrow and try to do a better job than you did today. Mm. And if you really believe that, then you find a way to to see what happens and to feel it and to not be numb to it right to understand the life and to see it and you see this horrible thing this incredible dark thing that happens and then later in the day you know you also see a friend of yours trip and spill coffee on themselves or something incredibly Mm -hmm. funny right? Not to, not that yeah. my friend spilling coffee themselves is that funny, but, you know, or you see, you know, you see a different child who is an incredibly sweet little kid that like laughs hysterically about something. And like, mm. that's also life. And the Stoics are so much about, about digging into life for what it is and all of its mm. beauty and pain altogether, Right. I think there's this incredible misconception that Stoics are not moved by anything, right? The the way we sometimes use Stoicism and there's being a Stoic in English about like, Oh, it just means you're not moved. Like you don't have a response to it, but not at all, man. I think Stoics feel and see the depth and the beauty of everything that goes on around them. They feel the pain, they feel the joy and they keep walking forward anyway. And to me, Stoicism is about that choice It's about saying, I'm going to get back up tomorrow and be a better version of myself than I was today. And part of that is finding the the beauty in existence around you, despite the pain and despite the suffering about what's going on. Um, yeah. And sometimes that comes out as some really terrible jokes in the middle of the heat of it. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but more often it's that version of, of what is the whole, the totality of the reality that I'm going mm. into.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, you've got to stay sane, right? Like mm. if all that you see... I do yeah if all that you see is the pain and suffering that can only lead to nihilism and and Mm. and that's not good for anyone and i think that uh you're right there it's like the stoics taught us that it's not about not being moved it's about being moved in the right way at the right time in the right place you know and and that actually there's a real truth in what the stoics said about how you know. Nobody but the sage can really experience and express Mm. true love, right? Nobody Mm. but the sage can really experience and and express all of these emotions in the right way, because so much of the way that we express our emotions, uh, really, if you examine it, it's not the right place or it's not the right time or it's not the the right emotion. Mm. Mm -hmm. And and stoicism is about learning to be really intelligent with the way you express those emotions. And when you're around somebody like that who can express their emotions intelligently, who can cry with you when they when you need them to cry with you? Who can who yeah. laugh with you when you need them to laugh with you? There's a real uh, there's a real emotional intelligence there that that we can learn from the Stoics. And uh, onto another kind of element of of our character that can be helpful. Uh, what do you think that the role of creativity is in a crisis? Because I know that you've probably dealt with many situations where you don't have what you need, you don't mm-hmm. have the people that you need. Where does the creativity come in as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, we all to greater or lesser degrees think of ourselves as MacGyver's in emergency medicine, right? The idea that we'll just we'll invent our way out of whatever situations are going on. And I, I think if you were to fly on the wall in our in our ERs right now, and you're watching us think through how to invent better responses to the COVID epidemic. You know, we're we're literally duct taping pieces together and saying, okay, well, what if we did this? Like, would that deliver oxygen better in this circumstance? Like, without exposing people to virus, like, how can we make this just this constant stream of invention? Which part of that goes back to the the don't waste suffering idea, right? The idea that anything that our our patients are going through, we want to we want to be able to treat the next person in the door better than that person that comes in. And that's, that's part of our commitment to our patients. Um, you know, I think that uh, having the, like, in some sense, part of the opposite of creativity is is fear, right, and, and brittleness of response. And I think that if you go, and this sends all the way back to the stoic idea of like memento mori, right, remembering that you're mortal, is one of the key concepts of this. And if you start with that, and you start addressing the fear of death, and you start addressing the fear of response, and you sort of build outward from that, what you get is not fear, but but the space to be creative, right, the space mm-hmm. to really flex and, and have a, a, an appropriate adaptable response to what goes on around you. Um, and some joy to approach it with right the idea of again the stoic idea of amor fati right to play whatever hand of cards you're dealt with with joy mm. and there's some definite like there's some definite joy and satisfaction in jury rigging something that works amazingly well like that like that's always a yeah.
0: great moment yeah well I, I mean look every invention starts with some creativity right it's like we have a mm-hmm. problem we don't know how to fix it and somebody's got to come up with something yeah. and uh I mean, you could argue that that's one of the main reasons why like times of war or times that we're dealing with right now are uh, almost the best for creativity because we're forced into a situation where we need to learn how we can deal better with the situations of life.
1: Yeah, um, and I think that's also, that's also really true in terms of your own self, right? Like creativity in terms of rewiring yourself. Like I always yeah. think about it like, man, things are terrible. It's really challenging. Sort of like you know, you've already got the hood up on your car so you can also fix some stuff while you're in there, right? You're going mm. through the intellectual and sort of like existential pain of changing your, your vision of yourself and your vision of humanity. Like, Oh, you're in there tinkering around. You may as well swap some components out while you're in there and try to get, try to give yourself a better engine on the other side of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, constantly trying to improve whatever situation mm-hmm. you're dealt. And yeah, I, I guess the, the last question that I wanted to ask you, uh, mm-hmm as, as an emergency ER, ER doctor, what can we do when we come into the hospital and we've got an emergency when we are, uh, you know, when, when we're the ones on your table, you know, if we can talk to you, like what can people in the public do that would support you and what you're doing, like from the opposite side of an emergency, right? How, how do you think people would best respond in from from the opposite side of what you're seeing?
1: That's a really interesting way to ask that question. I, I'm not sure I've ever heard that asked in terms of like, if I find myself on your table, which I, I hope that you never do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think... Um, I think that there is a difference between compassion and empathy, right? And I think that empathy is seeing suffering in another human and that causing a a mirror image of that suffering in you, right? So, you know, your sister is sad and crying, and so you are sad because of that, and you showed that by being there and crying. Compassion is sort of more of the idea of, you know, you see suffering and it produces in you the desire to fix that thing or to, or to respond in a way that helps the person through that suffering. And it looks really different, right? You're maybe not there crying with the person. Instead, you're there sort of like fixing or helping or just being a sounding board or something like that. And, and, I, and I think that um, when I have my emergency gear on and I am being an emergency doctor, I don't often provide empathy as much as I provide compassion but it doesn't mean that i don't love and care about the person as a human. but i think that to really do my job well, you know, the person who is sick needs me to be about compassion and not empathy. they don't want an er doctor that breaks down and cries when they're hurt, right? they want an er doctor that gets in there and helps them fix it. and i think that that can come off in that situation as as being gruff or uncaring. Um, and I wish that I had the time to sit down with everybody and explain this and be like, Hey man, like human to human, I love you, but like, you know, I'm just going to pull on that bone a little bit right now. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but, but that, and that, and, and, you know, if you find yourself in an emergency, you don't waste that suffering either, right? You go home and you think about that and you try to figure out what happened. How did you respond to it? How can you do better about it? And, and, Mm. you know, um, as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about coming into this there was something that really stood out to me which is which is Seneca's letters uh, number ninety one right Seneca letter ninety one it's called about the burning of Leon where he talks to his friend about the the city of Leon burning overnight uh, and if you sit down and read that and that's that's my challenge to anybody listening to this right is like if you were yeah. practicing Stoic you go out and you read Seneca letter ninety one and you think about how that reflects on the world today because it talks about this vast un um, unanticipated, incredibly fast scale of chaos where the whole city burns overnight. And Seneca's, you know, he's writing his letters to Lucilius and he's talking about sort of like advice on life as he goes through it. And he goes, how do you respond to a situation that is unprecedented, unexpected, and catastrophic, which is so much of what we're facing right now. And his advice is is deep and meaningful and and talks not only about how to handle the entire city burning, but also how to use this as an impetus to retune yourself in terms of how you view the
0: universe in general.
1: Um, So that's, I don't know if I get to assign homework Mm. to listeners of this, but man, that's my homework. Go out and read Seneca Letter 91.
0: You've given me homework now. I'm going to create a video reading out loud that, that yeah, very, absolutely. Uh, that, le- that letter and make sure that people can get that in the show notes as well. And, mm. um, yeah, cause uh, you know, I can't remember that letter, but I'd love to go back and check that out. Cause it seems like yeah, it that- relates to how we react today. Right.
1: It's, it's one of the the ones that have stuck, it stuck out to me the most in terms of its, its handling of essentially all of the four pillars of the emergency mind are in that letter, right? Like yeah. accept reality, act from within, deploy sang froid and play for the future.
0: Like he talks about all of
1: them. Mm. Um, it's, it's a great, it's a great
0: letter. <laughs> awesome. Well, Dan, I, I'm so grateful that you came on the show and uh, seriously, I want to have you back many more times because I it. think this Absolutely. has just been such an enlightened conversation for me. You know uh, you've, you've taught me so much and it's, it's a testament to the idea that we, we need to be talking to people of all different disciplines about how yeah. they use stoicism because it mm-hmm. can teach us so much more about how we might use it. So Dan, thanks for coming on and, and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much. And and I hope everybody listening to this stays safe and sane and healthy and, and keeps practicing.
0: Thank you. Right, so there you go, my interview with Dr. Dan Dwarkas. Now, I'm sure you found that as fascinating as I did and uh, we're gonna have him back on in the future, but make sure you head to his links in the show notes if you're wanting to find out what he's doing online. Uh, and without any further ado, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you next time. But until then, I hope that this episode has helped you on your rise to the good life. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to stay up to date with the Practical Stoic community and everything to do with this podcast, then just go to my website, simonjedrew.com, and subscribe to the Practical Stoic Weekly, a newsletter that I send out every week with updates and all sorts of great Stoic insights. You can also find me everywhere online by searching Simon J.E. Drew. See you next time.